So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations. Uh, and this, the first Sunday in Advent. It's the 27th of November. My name is John Keeley, and I know I'm joined each week by Sean Ambrose, who I know is going to wish us all a happy new year, liturgical year. Oh, good morning, John, and happy new year to everyone. Now, before everyone starts thinking, these two boys are absolutely lula. Again? Because it is only, after all, the 29th of November. It is the first Sunday of, of Advent, so it is the start of the liturgical year. So it's the start of the liturgical year. And in part two of the program this week, or the podcast this week, we are cheating, myself and John, are cheating ever so slightly this week. Um, so we are actually going to share with you um, two reflections from uh, Bishop Robert Barron from the World and Fire Institute. He's the Auxiliary Archbishop of Los Angeles. And also with Father Michael Schmitz from the Ascension Presents podcast as well. So what we've, we've done is put a little uh, medley of reflections on Advent for people in the second part of this week's podcast. Um, so that's just ease you into the year, some beautiful thoughts, some lovely reflections, and also to give you a break from myself and John mumbling on and nattering on in the podcast every week. You don't, you don't natter and mumble, Shane. But anyway, oh, of course not, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> we of course want to, as usual, welcome our listeners who are who are housebound. Very important to 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 mention those people who may be struggling or, or lonely in some way today, and listeners who support us each week in prayer. Our weekly podcast includes interviews and on faith topics, uh, inspirational music and reflection on the Sunday Gospel. All of our podcasts can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.buzzsprout.com. That's just Google Come and See Inspirations and you find us there. Our blog for uh, some historical podcasts, uh, sacredspace102.blogspot.com and also on Spotify, iTunes and of course on our Facebook page, Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us, if you wish, by texting us on 87 just 00353 if you're international, 87 or email comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. Now, Shane, you're going to introduce us to saints, but also a little bit on Advent as well, I believe. Yes. So uh, just before I get into that, just to remind people, the coming Thursday... Uh, we have the Advent Talks at Knock, and they are available on the Knock Shrine website. And this year, of course, just to, or these talks, just to remind people, they are um, being led by a good friend of the podcast, Father Eamon Conway. And they are looking at the Synod and Synodality, which is being called by Pope Francis. So, as we said, we're into a new liturgical year this year. So, we're looking at Advent, and of course, Advent is the great season of waiting and where the word, the, the, the description of the season is the word hope. It's the season of hope. It's not technically a penitential season, um, not like Lent, but kind of, um, you know, we associate the color violet or purple with it, but actually technically it's more dark navy blue because it's the color of Mary. Because Advent is very much the season of Mary because it's very much, of course, linked with her expectancy, her, her pregnancy, uh, as we obviously head towards the great feast of Christmas. As well as that, then, we also think and reflect about the great personages of, of, um, of Advent, John the Baptist, Isaiah, uh, to a little, little extent, Jeremiah. So these are the great prophets. These are the voices in the wilderness uh, calling out to us and reminding us of the threefold nature of Advent. Um, it is a reminder to us of the coming that came 2,000 years ago with the birth of Christ. It's the reminder to us that we are called to bring Christ back into our hearts at this moment in time. So the Advent waiting for us to turn back to Christ, the conversion, the metanoia, the conversion back to Christ. And then the third one, of course, is Christ that will come, the future, the end of time, the end of days. And we'll touch on that topic a bit, bit more in part three of the podcast because it links very much into this week's gospel. So that's just, I suppose, just a brief few words on Advent. Um, so then in terms of the liturgical odds and ends this week. So um, between now and the 17th or uh, 16th of December, so we, we celebrate the Advent season and we can commemorate our saints and we remember our saints as we usually do. For the 17th of 
December through to the 24th, it's what's called proper to the season. So the Saints take kind of a back seat. And they will still remember them, but they, they do take a bit of a back seat um, between the 17th to the 24th of December. So this week, the first, as today is the 20, sorry, is the 28th, sorry, the 29th, 28th of November. So it's the first Sunday of Advent, as we said. And um, so Monday, the 29th, is the feast day of St. Brendan of Burr on the calendar. Now, I hadn't heard of this guy too often. We've brought him up once or twice before. We don't know a whole lot about him. He was a friend and brother monk with St. Brendan the Navigator. And he was a spiritual student of St. Finian. And he founded the monastery at Burr in Offaly around 540 AD and served as its abbot. And he was a friend and advisor as well of St. Columbus, very much connected with the great saints of Irish history. So that's St. Brendan of Burr, who, and he's known as one of the 12 apostles of Ireland. And we celebrate his feast day on the 29th of November. And the 6th of January is the feast of the 12 apostles of Ireland. So little Christmas epiphany as well. So then uh, the 30th of November, of course, is a big red letter day because it's the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle. And one of the reasons we mark out Andrew's feast day in particular is because Andrew is the patron of the ecumenical patriarch in Constantinople, which is now modern day Istanbul. So it's a very important day for ecumenical relations between the various churches. So usually um, on the 30th of November, the Holy Father will dispatch um, representatives to attend the Divine Liturgy to celebrate the feast day at the Fanner in Istanbul. And then they return the favour on the 30th of June when they come to celebrate the feast of St. Peter's and Paul in Rome, at, generally at the Vatican. But anyway, Andrew was from Bethsida and was a disciple, of course, of John the Baptist when he was called by Jesus. And of course, it was Andrew that brought Peter to Jesus because they were brothers. Um, he's said to have suffered martyrdom by crucifixion on the 30th of November. So that's why we celebrate the feast today as we celebrate it. And um, he's the patron saint of Scotland, obviously, because the Psalter. We associate the St. Andrew's Cross very much with Scotland. Also with Russia. And so one of the numerous patron saints of Russia. And he's also the patron saint of fishermen. So that's St. Andrew, whose feast day we celebrate on the 30th of November. So moving into December. My goodness, that came around so quick. So the 1st of December, now it's interesting, the 1st of December, and I looked it up on my uh, calendars online, um, I came across a guy, Charles de Foucault. Now I brought this man up before in terms of saints. Now this guy, he was French, he was born to aristocratic family, he was orphaned by the age of six, he was raised by their grandfather. He joined, he was part of the French military, he served in Algeria, and he was discharged from his conduct. And then... Um, he kind of, he, 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 he was an explorer in North Africa, you know, exploring Morocco and Algeria and Tunisia, often at great risk to his own personal life. And then he returned to Paris and then he became a pilgrim to the Holy Land in 1888. And then in 1890, he joined the Trappists um, and he went to their monastery, one of their monasteries in Syria. Um, but uh, he was later released from his vows and he became um, kind of a wandering hermit. That's not a contradiction in terms. Uh, multiple pilgrimages to the Holy Land. And he was ordained in 1901 and he moved to the Oran region near Morocco and founded an order there to establish Morocco. And he became, he also started buying slaves to free them. And he began, he began very much evangelizing the local tribes in that part of the Sahara. He was caught he was caught up in the middle of combat between French forces and Arab insurrectionists and was killed in um, 1916 by a 15-year-old bandit, unfortunately. But what's interesting about him, John, is he's technically not a saint. He's not going to be canonized until next year. Um, he's been canonized on the 15th of May, 2022, by Pope Francis. That's the date that's been set for his canonization. But it's an interesting character, um, definitely worth people's attention and to Google and look up his life story. It's an interesting one and very much, um, you know, just, 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 I just, he's one of those ones that just is an interesting story that I think people should, should know. Um, then on the 2nd of 
uh, December, I've gone a bit east. We have the Feast of St. Athanasius of the Caves. Now, Athanasius, of course, is a big, big saint in the Church's calendar, but this man is a slightly smaller saint. So it's Athanasius with a small A. Um, he's, um, he's a Ukrainian saint. And he was a hermit in the caves around Kiev. Now, the caves around Kiev, they're famous in the Orthodox Church because there's a huge complex of them there. And it's the heart of uh, religious faith in the region, in that particular region. Anyway, he was found dead in his cave and his brother monks were preparing to bury him when he suddenly sat back up. So I'd say someone kind of probably didn't call the time of death properly. But anyway, um, he just, he would not tell the brothers what he had seen, just told them to stay true to their rule and obey their abbot. And he was known as a healer and a miracle worker. So, and he died eventually then in 1176. So that's St. Athanasius of the Caves. It's just, it's an interesting one. It just, it's, an, it's one of those odd ones I said, I just throw it out there to share it with people. So then uh, Friday, the 3rd of December is the feast day of St. Francis Xavier, who of course is one of the big Jesuit saints. And he died in 1552. He was one of the first seven Jesuits who founded the order with St. Ignatius of Loyola. And he was sent to India by St. Ignatius and he converted many in Goa and later in Japan. And he died in Japan while he was preparing to enter uh, China to spread the faith. Uh, he's a patron of the missions with St. Teresa of Lisieux. Now, the interesting thing about St. Francis Xavier, the breakfast warning, breakfast warning for anyone that's listening, the man has been dismembered. Um, there's bits of him all over the place. There's some of him in Japan. There's some of him in Goa. There's some of him in Rome. Um, he's just, he's one of the popular Jesuit saints. Uh, so that's Francis Xavier, um, that, whose feast day we celebrate on the 3rd of December. Uh, and then finally, on the 4th of December, we celebrate the feast day of St. John Damascene. Now, he's a Syrian Christian theologian who died in 749 AD. He was a priest in the monastery of St. Sabbath near Jerusalem, which was a famous monastery. And he was a leading figure in the defense of icons in the icon, iconoclastic controversy, which was a period of heresy where they were destroying the icons. And he led the defense of the iconic tradition, which is quite important, particularly for our brethren in the Eastern churches. Now, as it is the first week of the month, we remind people the Friday the 3rd and Saturday the 4th of December, um, they're the first Friday, the first Saturday respectively for those observing the devotions. The Pope's intention for the month of December is we pray for catechists summoned to announce the word of God. May they be its witnesses with courage and creativity and in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have, John, in terms of liturgical odds and ends this week. So now at uh, this part of our podcast here this morning, we might just um, just use a, this little bit of time to get a, a, a prayer space. Today, I, I decided to pick one. Um, it's a vocation prayer. Come Holy Spirit. You've called us through baptism to be disciples with your son, Jesus Christ, and you've sent us to bring good news of salvation to all peoples. We pray that those whom God is calling from our community to serve him in priesthood and religious life may respond with generosity and faith, and that may receive support, encouragement, and spiritual nourishment for the seed of their vocation in their families and in the wider parish community. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, Shane, our first bit of music this morning, um, an Advent hymn that you picked yourself. I think it's entitled The Advent Mag Magnificat. Vox. Yes, and it's from a group called Vox Hibernia. Hibernia. So they're a group of, of, actually, I think they're actually cantors and singers from the Dublin Archdiocese that have come together. And they have a lovely YouTube channel. Um, I would encourage people to have a look at it. And there's some lovely pieces on it. So they're singing today what is the Advent Magnificat. And I just thought it was appropriate just for our prayer space and time on the first part of the podcast this morning. Thanks for that, Shane. So come back and join us again in part two.
temptation we should avoid strenuously is the tendency to reduce Advent and Christmas to kind of cozy, sentimental seasons. In fact, they're anything but. I would say Advent really is a kind of preparation for a revolution. If you look at the liturgical readings uh, for this season, and they're about Isaiah, Mary, John the Baptist, they're, they're crackling with uh, energy and with 
electricity and excitement. They're not cozy at all. They're, they're revolutionary. And we get this, I think, when we go back to the time when these uh, were written and we see what uh, properly revolutionary message they're meant to convey. Look, for example, at the um, readings from the prophet Isaiah, which we use throughout uh, Advent. They deal especially with the return of the Israelites from exile in Babylon. This was a very important event for ancient Israel because the loss of Jerusalem, the destruction of it, was such a calamity, a disaster. So it was in the year 587 BC that the Babylonians came, destroyed Jerusalem, burned the temple to the ground, and carried the best and brightest off into exile. I've said before, it's, it's like September 11th times 1,000. It would give you a sense of what that meant for ancient Israel. And I would say especially the destruction of the temple. Not only was this a political defeat, not only was their capital city destroyed, but God's dwelling place on earth was destroyed. The temple was much more than a shrine to Yahweh. It was Yahweh's home. It's where he lived. It's his throne on earth. And therefore, it poses a terrible theological dilemma. How could the Lord and creator of the whole world be defeated? So, when the exiles about 75 years later return, the prophet reads that as a great victory. The king of Israel, Yahweh, has proven himself stronger than the king of Babylon. And this calls to mind as well an earlier victory, namely Yahweh's victory over Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, when he leads the Israelites out of captivity. Same idea, tyrannical king, oppressive king, and now Yahweh leads his people out. That's the lens through which Isaiah reads Israelite history, especially the return from exile. Now, after the return, Israel was oppressed again. So the Greeks come in, and then the Romans come in. And so, from the heart of the nation comes this great cry. How long, O Lord? Lord, when will you again show the might of your arms? Well, about uh, 500 years after the exile, there appears in the Judean desert this alarming figure, dressed in animal skins and eating locusts and wild honey. John the Baptist, what's his message? He hearkens right back to Isaiah. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare a way for the Lord. Now see what he means. Don't overly spiritualize it at first. He's going right back to that Isaiah idea of prepare a highway for the return of the exiles at the front of which will be Yahweh, the king of Israel, leading his people back. So here's John the Baptist now who's saying, it's happening. The definitive victory of Yahweh is about to happen. And so prepare a highway for our God. That's his message. Whom does he point to? I must decrease, he must increase. He points to this young Galilean rabbi whose message is very simple unambiguous, and against the backdrop of what I've been saying, luminously clear. What is he saying? The kingdom of God is at hand. Again, don't spiritualize that right away. Don't interiorize it. See it against the backdrop of what I've been describing. The kingdom of God's at hand. Jesus now is saying, in me, in my own person, Yahweh is emerging definitively and victoriously as king. He has come now to rule the world. He supplants the kings of the world. That's the claim being made. And now, now, watch as the Gospels unfold. What do they show us? They show us in a thousand different ways what it looks like when Yahweh is king. Jesus engages in open table fellowship, inviting the insiders, the outsiders, the healthy, the sick, um, the acceptable, the unacceptable, who is he? But he's Yahweh now, the king, gathering in his tribes. What else does he do? He forgives sins. Right? To the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. Calling in from exile those who had been uh, estranged through sin. Love, compassion, peace, nonviolence. He's exemplifying in his own person what it looks like for Yahweh to be the king. Now, what happens to him? Well, the powers of the world are always invested in selfishness, violence, hatred. And so, of course, they come after him 
finally um, lynching him in the Roman style, putting him on a cross. Now here's the hinge of the whole thing. Here's where the momentum of the Bible is heading. But Yahweh raised him from the dead. Jesus comes back from the dead, convincing those who saw him that he is indeed Yahweh the King. He is indeed what John the Baptist said he was, prepare a highway for the Lord, for the return of the King, vindicating what he himself said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, as he comes back, risen from the dead, he shows himself to be the victorious King of Israel. And so we see the first Christians consistently said about the risen Jesus, Jesus is Lord, Jesus Curios. Again, don't spiritualize it, but see it against this backdrop. Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's the Davidic king. That's how Jews would have heard that. He's the Davidic king who has definitively come to rule uh, Israel and therefore to rule the world. But also see that in a Roman sense. So as, as Paul announced that message, it's going out to the Roman world. Because the watchword of the time was Kaiser Curios. Caesar is the Lord. And Paul's saying, no, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the God of Israel, victorious over the kings of the world. Here's something else now. It's from the second Sunday of Advent in the Catholic liturgical readings. We read from the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Mark was a companion of Peter, who had come probably from Palestine with Peter to Rome. And he was a friend of Paul. If the Acts of the Apostles is right, he was a friend of Paul. He knew both these men, these first great evangelists. Both of whom were killed in the Nero persecution around the year 65. Mark writes his gospel, they think around 70, so a few years after Peter and Paul have died. What does he say? The opening line is, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now we probably just brush past all that language, like, yeah, 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 you know, it's kind of pious uh, boilerplate. Every one of those words is a provocation. The beginning of the good news, and the Greek there is euangelion, good tidings, glad news. It was used by the Roman emperor when he won a victory. He'd send literally evangelists out ahead of him carrying the good news that Caesar's won. Mark is being typically and consciously provocative when he says, I've got the good news, the euangelion. It's not about Caesar, it's about someone whom Caesar killed and whom God raised from the dead. Here's the one who has the real imperial victory. He calls him, of course, Jesus Christ. It's just the Greek version of Yeshua Mashiach. Mashiach means the anointed one. Who is the anointed one par excellence? It was David, David the king, David the victorious king. Here is Yeshua now, Jesus, is the true David, the real ruler. And see, by extension, it's not the Roman emperor who matters that much. It's now this king of Israel. And then, just to rub it in, I always find this wonderful and kind of amusing. At the end of that line, he says, and he's the wios tutha'u, which is Greek for son of God. We say, well, yeah, son of God, of course. But see, in those days, that was a very provocative remark to make because wios tutha'u was a Roman imperial title. The emperor was the son of God. Because Julius Caesar had been declared a god, and therefore Augustus, his adopted son, was the Wios Tutau, the son of God. And then the emperors took that title. It was a sign of their, of their quasi-divine status. What's Mark saying now? With the, almost like he has like a little wink or a little uh, you know, provocative smile. He's not the Wios Tutau. This Jesus is the son of God. It is a supplanting of the Roman emperor. I don't mean like, well, now Jesus moves to Rome and starts you know, ruling from the Palatine Hill. What I mean is, he's the one to whom final allegiance is due. He is the one now who is properly the Lord. It's not those old kings of the world that matter. It's Christ the King who matters. Can you see now why Advent, preparing for the coming of the Lord, is not just a cozy little interior uh, feast. It's all about preparing yourself for this revolution. See, most of us fall under the kings of the world rather readily. That's the way of the world, the way of hatred, violence, oppression, domination. Mm -mm, says the gospel. The real way is the way of the king of Israel, the witos tutha'u, the son of God, the crucified and risen Jesus. So now, change. 
Repent. That's Jesus' opening word, isn't it? Repent. The kingdom of God's at hand. Right. The kingdom is at hand. A new king has emerged. Now change and live under his lordship. That's the permanently revolutionary message of Advent. You know, I, I always go back to the great song of Advent, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We sing it all the time. We love the melody. We all sing it. But I wonder how often we attend to the words, right? O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile until the Son of God appears. That extraordinary thing, because our culture is so predicated upon auto-salvation, right? Some version of I can save myself, whether it's through... Um, economic reforms, political reforms, it's through uh, fitness, through better eating, or whatever we choose, I can save myself. And Advent dramatically says, no, you can't. You can't save yourself. All you can do in some ways is beg. You can ask that the one who can save you will come. So I like the fact that it's permanently disorienting, Advent. It throws us off our usual expectation of, of self-sufficiency and self-salvation. You've got to feel like a captive to get Advent. See, I'm driving it. You have to know. I love about the 12-step programs that they, they compel you to admit your helplessness. You have to turn your life over to a higher power because you can't save yourself. You know you're in this addictive pattern, and you can't lift yourself up out of it. Well, all sin is an addictive pattern, really. And we should have the same sensibility that we can't lift ourselves up out of it. We have to admit our helplessness, and turn our lives over to a higher power. Man, is that difficult, but see, finally liberating, how liberating that is. You say, I'm going to allow Christ to work in me. That's what he wants. You know, like in St. John of the Cross, for example, I read a scholar recently who said the whole thing can be summed up as clearing the landing area so that God's helicopter can land. That's all he wants. 
He wants to land in your life, but there's all this stuff, and we have to just clear a landing space for him. That's like with Christ now. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Ransom captive Israel. I'm, I'm in lonely exile here. I can't do anything. That's why Advent is permanently unsettling in a really good way.
Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and this is Ascension Presents. So here we are in Advent, and I don't know if you knew this about Advent, but Advent is not a penitential season. Penitential, like Lent, is a penitential season. Like Fridays during the, during the, during the year are, are usually penitential days. Advent is not a season of penance. Advent is a season of devout and joyful preparation for the coming of Jesus. That's like, kind of like the definition. And I just think this is really interesting. Let's break some of this down, right? Because if we want to like really enter into the season of Advent, let's understand what it is. So it's devout. Now, when I think devout, I often think of like pious, right? I think of, I picture someone in a corner, like, you know, with their hands folded, kind of looking slightly away, like, hmm, I'm very pious, right? That's not what devout means. Devout means firm. It means resolute. Devout means powerful or wholehearted. Advent is the wholehearted and joyful preparation for Christ's coming. So joyful. What's joy? Well, recognize that, that while joy and happiness often coincide, they often happen together, that joy is something more profound than mere happiness. Happiness often comes out of our circumstances, right? So I'm happy because um, I feel good. I'm happy because things are going well for me. I'm happy because of my circumstances. Joy is the ability to have a certain happiness independent of your circumstances, an abiding sense of well-being because I know that the Father loves me. Joy is the abiding sense of well-being that comes from the fact that I know that God knows my name and he loves me. So when you want to have joy, not dependent on your circumstances, not dependent on um, are things going well or poorly, joy is a choice because it's choosing to remember, I'm going to choose to live with that abiding sense that I know, I know the Father knows me and the Father loves me. And because of that, my circumstances can be awful and I can still have joy. My circumstances can be painful and I can still have joy. I can still choose this because I will choose to abide in his love. I will choose to abide in the absolute certain possession of him. So, Advent is the wholehearted and joyful preparation for Christ's coming. Now, here's the interesting part, I think. I think the other part's interesting too, but this is also interesting. Preparation for Christ's coming. I often like default back to this idea that, oh, preparation for Christmas. So if you have a good Advent, you can have a good Christmas. I want to have a great Christmas, so I want to have a great Advent. No. Yes, at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Christ has come into this world. Absolutely, of course we celebrate that. But we also celebrate and prepare for the fact that we know he's going to come again. That we know that Jesus is going to come again. And so, yeah, we want to prepare to be able to celebrate, to worship him well at Christmas. That's 100% great. But the goal of Advent is not to have a merry, merry Christmas. <laughs> the goal of Advent, ultimately, is to be able to worship him well and celebrate the fact that he came into this world well, but also to prepare for his second coming. Now, those are the two kind of major like arrivals of Christ, the, his past coming at the original Christmas and his future coming at the end of time. But the great saints have talked about this intermediary, like arrival of Christ, this intermediary, intermediary coming of Jesus into our lives. That's when he comes to us. Whenever we pray, whenever we open up his word, he's, he's present. Whenever we gather in his name, he's present with us. Whenever we're in the presence of the Eucharist, we're in the presence of him. So there's also this inter, 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 intermediary, intermediary coming of Jesus into our lives. Here's my question. If Advent is the wholehearted and joyful preparation for the coming of Jesus into our lives, if Jesus showed up in your life, would there be any room for him? Nice think about that. If Jesus showed up in your life today, not like at Christmas time where everyone knows, like, he was born in a stable, so I want him to be, have room in my life. Like today, in your schedule, if Jesus wanted some more space, if he wanted some more room in your life, would he have room in your life? And I think that's one of the reasons why people are like critics of Advent and say, we listen to too much Christmas music during Advent and too much Christmas parties during Advent and too much Christmas food during Advent and too much Christmas drinks during Advent. You know why? Is that because those things are bad? In fact, if you do a little bit of those things all throughout Advent, I think that helps me prepare. It helps me prepare. It helps me get into the mood, right? To have a, a party here or some little you know, taste of the food here, to have some Christmas music there. Those things are good, but the problem is we end up not using this phenomenal word that we should get used to and use all throughout our lives, but especially in Advent. And that word is no. When you were a kid, they didn't have 24-hour Christmas music playing everywhere you go. 
When you were a kid, you didn't have Christmas party after Christmas party after Christmas party. When you were a kid, you didn't have all the Christmas food and all the Christmas drinks you ever possibly could want. When you were a kid, you had limited amounts of all of those things. Here's a little bit of Christmas music. Here is like the one Christmas party that you would go to as a kid. But as adults, we have all these options and we just have forgotten how to say no. But it's saying no that gives Christ space. It gives him room to enter into our lives. This Advent, even though it's not a penitential season, I invite all of us, including myself, to exercise no. Here's some good music, great, and then no. Here's a, that Christmas movie I love, great. And then after it's done, I don't listen, watch the next 12 of them. Here's some parties, you know what? Maybe just this one or just this two. I need to say no more so that I can say yes more to Jesus. For all of us here at Presents, my name is Father Mike. God bless. Welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. And today, as Shane mentioned at the start, we start off a new liturgical year. We are now reading from the Gospel of Luke. But prior to that, we'll ask Shane to share this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it, and let our eyes be closed and our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, as I said, the, the Gospel for today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 25 to 28, and 34 to 36. Jesus said to his disciples, There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on earth nations in agony, bewildered by the clamour of the ocean and its waves. Men die in a fear as they wait what menaces the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand erect, hold your head high, because your liberation is near at hand. Watch yourselves, or your hearts will be coarsened with debauchery and drunkenness and the cares of life. And that day will be sprung on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come down on every living man on the face of the earth. Stay awake, praying at all times, for the strength to survive all that is going to happen, and to stand with confidence before the Son of Man. That's the Gospel for the first Sunday in Advent. Shane, you want to share a thought with us, please? Yeah, so it'll be fairly brief this week, um, if if John and Shane can do brief. Um, <laughs> so... Okay, there's two things. First of all, of course, um, as we said at the top of the podcast, is the idea that Advent, there's a number of Advents that we're celebrating. There's the Advent of the past, which is the event of the incarnation and the birth of Christ 2,000 years ago. There's the Advent of the present, which is the, the, the ask that we turn back to Christ and invite him into our hearts. Uh, you know, we are the innkeepers who decide whether there's room for him in our hearts. And then there's the advent of tomorrow or of the future, which is the second coming, the return of Christ. And it links in, of course, with what we were talking about last week and the week before with the end of the church's liturgical year. And the focus on that event that we say, you know, we profess every Sunday in, in the creed, um, you know, that, that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. 
And this Sunday's gospel links to that third meaning of Advent. It's Luke's account of, of what Jesus said in relation to these things. And I suppose there was a couple of things that jumped out at me. I suppose when we do Lexio, one of the things that we, we we're encouraged to do is to see what word or phrase is it in the text that jumps out at you, that speaks to you, that you feel that you should dialogue and meditate on as you read through your piece of scripture. And of course, as we say to people, it's something you should read a number of times, you should pause with it, you should ruminate over it almost and see what it is that it is that this word, which although coming from 2000 years ago, we believe as Christians still speaks to us today. And I suppose there was two, there was a couple of lines that jumped out at me. First was the line, your liberation is near at hand. So when all of these things kick off, your liberation is near at hand is the promise that Jesus gave. And for me, that was an interesting way of looking at it because we can get caught up in this whole idea of um, the end of the world and apocalypse from, from films. And, you know, look at the world that we're living in at the moment with COVID and different countries at war and kind of the retreat of democracy and all the rest of it. And you think to yourself, my God, what is actually happening? But, Jesus makes the point that the, whenever this will happen, uh, because we know not neither the hour nor the time, it's a sign our liberation is near at hand. It's an unusual way of thinking about it. Our liberation, our freedom. We are going to be freed up from the, you know, the burdens that we carry sometimes. And that's kind of a question to us. Ask ourselves, what is it that burdens us as we start this new liturgical year? What are the things that we need to say, Maranatha, come Lord, liberate me from? That's the first talk that struck me this week, reflecting on the gospel. The second one that talked, it was that expression, hearts coarsened with debauchery and drunkenness and the cares of life. And that struck me in two, in two ways, because sometimes, you know, within the Christian community, we can take a little bit of them and us approach. And especially those that, perhaps are no longer as active in the community of faith. Or we look at those, you know, uh, there was pictures going around of, of the, the Christmas Day event, the celebration in Limerick City by our third level students in the city recently. And let's just say that there was a little bit of departure and drunkenness. That's, that's what it was. There's no other way to describe it. Having been a student, you know, it's, it's, I've seen it all before. Um, I won't say I participated, so I don't drink, but... You know, I've, I've seen it all before. So, and it's very easy to get up on your high moral horse, your high moral ground and your, your little horse, and you jump along and say, well, they shouldn't be doing that, aren't they very bold and all the rest of it. And it's very easy to jump up your high moral ground and say, well, those that are you know, falling away from the face, oh, they're very bold, they shouldn't be doing that, you know. But it's an interesting one. Jesus said, be careful of your hearts being coarsened as well by the cares of life. And for me, that was the one that jumped out. Because... That's the challenge for us in Advent, is making space and making time to be able to prepare for Christmas. Because we shouldn't go into the hullabaloo of the Christmas season. Advent is there liturgically to help us prepare. Now, the interesting thing about it is, if you were, if East, if you were Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, you would be fasting for six weeks. Advent isn't four weeks, it's six. And it is a penitential season, and you would be fasting. If you're like us, we're... Western, Latin, right, Catholics, uh, you know, it's a period of waiting and preparation and hope. You know, it's not that severe, but you still need to make the time and we still need to make the effort because we can, without realizing it, we'll end up in a situation where our hearts are coarsened by the cares of life. And I think it would be fair to say the cares of life have weighed on us so much over the last two years in the situation that we've lived. And that worry that we've canceled, we're carrying all the time, even though we don't know it, living on our nerves, living on our adrenaline, probably a lot of people waiting every day. What are the numbers? I've given up following the numbers because it just, it was stressing me out. I said that it's there, you know. Um, and I suppose that question for us, what is it that's kind of getting in our way of our commitment to Christ? And, you know, so it's, it's something to ask ourselves. What way has our heart been coarsened? 
And when we speak about the heart being coarsened, it becomes, when something's coarsened, it becomes thick, it becomes unyielding, it becomes immovable. And that is the question for us in terms of the hearts that should be open to welcome Christ. Watch yourself. That was the great expression. The other expression that jumped out, you know, stay awake, watch yourselves, praying at all times. You know, this day will be sprung on you suddenly. And there's a huge element of that as well in terms of faith. We can plod along a little, you know, we do the same thing. We might be going to chapel, might be saying our prayers, might be doing our rosary, and it becomes routine and it loses its impact. It loses its freshness. It loses its hope. And something, I suppose, that that, that gospel speaks to us this week is that need to return to prayer, raising up our hearts, our minds and hearts to God, kind of that conversation heart to heart, as, as Henry Newman often referred to it, um, you know, and, and Teresa Vavilla is the same. <clears throat> and for me, that's what this gospel calls us to this Sunday. It's very much an appropriate gospel for Advent and asking ourselves, where are we tuning in to the God that is coming to us? Coming and knocking on the doors of our hearts, asking us, are we the innkeepers that are going to let him in? And, you know, it's interesting. We've, we've picked numerous pieces of music over Advent and on the podcast, John and I, we have a strong tradition that Advent must be Advent. And it has its own season, its own rhyme and reasons and rhythms, and its own particular music. So as you join with us in Advent over this week and over the next couple of weeks, pay attention to the music as well, because it is the music of the season, the season of Advent. O come, divine Messiah. O come, divine Messiah. That is our prayer during the Advent season. And that is what this Sunday's Gospel speaks to. Shane, Shane thank you very much, Neil, for that. Um, yeah, just like Shane, as Shane mentioned there, it's important to, to read it a few times. Um, certainly when I was involved with Lecture Divine and Salam, we had Father Frank Dewey here in Newcastle, West County Limerick. Um, Father Frank used to ask us to read it three times and maybe even more. And when I started to read the Gospel today, I, I was underlining certain words as I went through, you know, signs and dying of fear and um, the powers of heaven will be shaken and the power and glory and liberation and all that sort of stuff. But for some reason, I was drawn to, I kept on coming back to drawn to the last sentence of today's Gospel. Stay awake, praying at all times for the strength to survive all that is going to happen and to stand with confidence before the Son of Man. Staying awake and praying at all times doesn't necessarily mean, as far as I'm concerned, saying prayers. But it would mean prayerfulness, listening to God speaking at all times. And recently I, I came across a, a lovely piece that really sums this up from Father Sylvester O'Flynn. Uh, Father Sylvester says, Radio God broadcasts daily on many wavelengths through our experience of life, scripture, nature, people we meet, things we hear, our favourite symbols, and so on. But we can all too easily settle for a lifestyle in which we rarely, if ever, switch on our receivers. Really making the effort to tune in to the wave band where the eternal God intersects our road of hours and days. Obviously, if you listen to every and any station except Radio God, then prayer will not even begin for us. The very least we must do is to create a space in our, in, our time and our, in our time and in our minds for God and then learn which is the wavelength on which we can best listen to him. Maybe that sums up for, for me, Advent. It's waiting, it's preparing, it's listening especially. It's um, just staying there and, and just seeing what the Lord is trying to say to us. It doesn't always seem very obvious from time to time. But I think patience is maybe required. God always makes the first move. And all we have to do is to tune in. 
So when we do that, God will give us the strength to survive, and that's going to happen, and to stand with confidence before the Son of Man. So that's the gospel reflection by myself and Shane this week. Thanks a lot, listeners, for staying with us for this podcast. And our final piece of music this morning, Shane decided, a uh, beautiful piece of music, Advent music again maybe, to start off with, Christ Be Our Light. So until next week, from myself and Shane, thanks again for listening to us. Enjoy Advent. Take it easy. Be easy on yourself. But give a, give a lot of time to Radio God. In the meantime... Take care. God bless. We'll speak to you again next week. Bye now.